the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and it is Monday. April 13th, as we continue our spring gleaning series, Uh, the Pac-12 in the books, go listen to it, broken up by Pac-12 North, Pac-12 South, the Big 12 in the books, broken it up in two parts, listen to them both, they're honestly both fantastic, and now we uh, turn our attention this week to the ACC, we'll do a little bit of a step out of the spring gleaning world with NFL draft-centric focus at the beginning of next week, and then back into it with the Big Ten and the SEC. Before we jump into the ACC Atlantic, talking about those Clemson Tigers and otherwise, gentlemen, uh, how are we doing? Was it a, you know, the weekend, the weekdays, they all kind of run together, but since the last time we spoke, everybody holding it together? Still alive over here, still still kicking, Um, currently in the midst of one of our bad days. Uh, There have been some some pretty ferocious screaming going on downstairs by all all parties, um, but we've you know what we're 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 still hanging on. Were they screaming while you were on HQ? Uh, no, I think I got well. I mean, there's yes, the, the the screams started to die down right as my HQ hit was about to begin. Um, I think there may have even been like one of those like there's nothing else to do. We're just going to go to the in the car. And drive around in circles for an hour and just try to get these kids to fall asleep. That was that was that was a go-to HQ move this uh, this afternoon. Impressive, Tom. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I uh, yeah, not much has changed since last week. I I bought Civilization Six for my PlayStation, which I spent a decent amount of time playing that over the weekend. That was that's a fun way to kill time because I haven't really played Civilization since. The, the fifth version on my computer, but I, I got it on the PS4 this time, and uh, it's pretty much just as good as it would be on the computer, although the nice part is that they've made enough changes and updates to the game that it's not like it was at the end of Civilization Five, where I kind of just knew how to win really easy. Now I've got to learn new things, so it, it's making it a little more challenging at least. Okay. Is that like a modern-day SimCity? Uh, no, it's... kind. I mean... It's a strategy. It's along that same vein in which you're building a civilization, except you're competing against other civilizations that are actual human beings on the other side. There can be if you play online or it's just against the computer. Gotcha. So you're just trying to build an empire. Pretty much. Okay. So it's not like you don't just win by taking over the world. What's our, what's, what's the time period here? Can we go like, are we battling with, with like, uh, 
swords and spears, or are we uh, do we you have are a- for a while, but then you know you you move on. Oh, you get okay. guns. All right. Wow. So how is this? Uh, you know, not to make it too personal, but you're you're playing civilizations as you're reading an in-depth history of World War One. How, how are we going side by side together? Do you feel like you're getting the expertise to actually take over this whole daggum thing? Yes, that's yeah. that's exactly my plan. <laughs> I was like, all right, let me let me look through all this so that way I get an inkling to how how to have a, a war that goes absolutely nowhere for four years and kills everybody. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you're like every uh, every hundred years or so, uh, time circles back around. And listen, this this is just Tom getting ready to emerge on the other side, a world power, the nation of Fernelli. Yeah, I just, I, I just taught Gandhi a little bit a little lesson, so that was fun. <laughs> what book are you reading? Uh, it's called, um, the great war, a story. It's a world undone. The great war. It's, it's about world war one. It is a very long, but a very good book. Like, it's not like one of those things where you're reading it and you're just like, it's, it's well-written. It keeps you interested. It's just, there's so much to digest and it is so long like I, I joked the other day about it when i was reading it i said I'm, I'm on page 200 and i haven't even gotten to september 2000 or 1914 yet and i mean the damn war started in august 1914 huh. i mean there was a lot going on world was crazy alliances being broken alliances being made tom fernelli figuring out how to put all that to use in his uh civilizations game when, yeah, and like I said, Gandhi came talking smack, so I, I don't, you know, I had to let him know. I had to take a couple of his cities. <laughs> like, uh, I wasn't trying to, st- I, I've been going the whole game, I haven't been, like, warmongering, I've just been trying to build my society, had Greece declare war on me for a while, I handled that, got him to stop, but then India was just like, you know, was, he was just coming up to me, like, all talking crap about me, like, without without any provocation, so I was like, okay, dude. Went, took a couple cities. He came groveling back. He offered money. He offered me like one of his world wonders just to get me to stop beating him up. The bully, global bully, Tom Fernelli has logged on. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Well, let's uh let's dig into the 800-page almanac that is the ACC as we begin our ACC Atlantic journey with the five-time ACC champion Clemson Tigers. 14-1 last season, 8-0 in conference play. A 29-game winning streak came to an end against LSU in New Orleans. Uh, we have Trevor Lawrence back for another year. Travis Etienne coming back for a fourth season with Clemson after being named the ACC's Offensive Player of the Year for the second year in a row. And Justin Ross is up there. So you know, as I've been you know, putting together these reviews, you start to see these these trios come together. And, and there's also, spoiler alert, another good one even in the ACC Atlantic. But Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, the headliners are all there. Um, but, and you know, we can decide how much we want to dig into this, beyond Raw, Justin Ross and Amari Rogers. I wonder if we're going to look at the wide receiver position as someone where we really need people to step up where one of our criticisms of Clemson a year ago offensively was the fact that it was really just sort of T Higgins and Justin Ross, a little bit of Amari Rogers, but not necessarily, you didn't have a Hunter Renfro. You didn't have that sort of wealth of options. So something to keep an eye on Braden Galloway, the tight end who was suspended 
for most of last season for the PED suspension, came back in the championship game. He might be a part of that. You got four starters gone on the offensive line. Jackson Carmen back as the only lone returning starter after a pretty solid 2019. Defensively, you're losing Isaiah Simmons, one of the best individual college football players uh, in the entire country. The linebacker position leaves uh, James Skalski and Mike Jones Who? Jr. potentially as uh, <laughs> as the, the real stars there up front. Tyler Davis, Xavier Thomas, if he can stay healthy and in good graces. K.J. Henry, other names to watch. The, the real place where I landed when looking through Clemson is that obviously we're going to have ACC championship expectations. We are going to have national championship contention expectations. When you've got a program that's been performing like this and when you've got a once in a generation type talent like Trevor Lawrence, I do think that that's all fair. But I wonder, I wonder if those big names, those big shiny objects that we've got and some of that just being the aura of Clemson's dominance in the ACC, I wonder if that will overshadow some potential uh, questions or concerns being among them being an offensive line that's being rebuilt, a wide receiver room that could really use Joseph Nagata, Frank Ladson, and others stepping up. I, I wonder if, if this is possible, Clemson can be both a top five team in the country and probably a little bit overrated by the general public. I mean, I don't see a scenario in which Clemson's not winning the ACC. Like, it could lose a game. It might get tripped up somewhere along the way, but it's not going to lose twice, especially in conference, and then it's going to get to the ACC. But, yeah, I think that there, this isn't a perfect team, and it's a team that has been so incredibly dominant the last few years that you kind of just view it that way. And for me... The biggest concern is the one you mentioned. They they have four new starters that they have to work in on the offensive line. But I say that's a concern where I look at what happened last year when they replaced like four NFL draft picks on their defensive line, and you were like, man, that's that's a lot to replace. And then they just came back without those guys, and they were still, you know, while they didn't have the most dominant front defensive line as they had the year before, they still had Isaiah Simmons. They still had a great defense, and they still went out and had the season that they had. But another concern, too, is, you know, they've got to rebuild the secondary for the most part. Yeah. They've only got one actual starter back there. So you've got to rebuild your offensive line. You've got to rebuild your secondary. I'm not as worried about the wide receivers. I'm not worried about Travis Etienne. And then, of course, there's Trevor Lawrence. Although, and again, I'm just trying to play devil's ad- advocate here, looking for any reason to have any kind of questions about this team. Because I don't think it's going to happen. But Trevor Lawrence, if it did happen, it would not be the first time in recent years where we saw a no-duh top NFL draft pick enter their junior season and maybe just kind of worry about getting through it instead of, you know, being amazing in it. It's happened. I don't. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll see. I think there's a uh, I don't know, Bar- Barton. What do you think? Well, so I'm just uh, I, I'm just examining the idea about like I I'm thinking through the uh, the offensive line a little bit right now. I mean, Jackson Carmen's back, and he is he's highly regarded. He's he played well he's last good, year. Played well last year. Um, I think when you look. At the, I'm just, I'm just looking at like the younger guys coming up and how confident I am in them, and yeah, like I don't think there's any reason to believe that they're, that they're no doubt guys beyond Jackson Carmen. I do think 
part of the reason I started sort of taking that approach in terms of just looking at recruiting from that front is as I do think of it in the 2020 class, they recruited one of their better offensive line groups, but I, I, that doesn't mean that group is going to be ready to help them in year one. I, I think they're still talented in the secondary. Uh, and like you guys mentioned, the, the skill talent is just sort of off the charts and the guys coming in like the depth, at defensive line this year is going to be insane. So it'll be, I think that they, this is going to be one of those teams that they'll have such a cushion, a margin for error with the playmakers that they have on offense and the defensive front seven that the rest of the stuff has a lot of time through the full season to gel if it's not clicking right away, whether it be offensive line or, or secondary. When do they play Notre Dame? November 7th, I think. All right, so they got time. Yeah. I mean, assuming all is. But they do play the Citadel the week after, so you got to hope they don't get caught in a look ahead. True. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think um, it's it's just, yeah, I mean, mean, you're acknowledging that you're doing it, but it's just nitpicking if you're really going to try to find weaknesses in this team, I think. Right. Like, it's funny because we're going to end up with this place where we're going to look at, you know, eight uh, Clemson teams in a row that all went either 14 and one or 13 and one or 15 and oh, and we're, we're going to end up like trying to compare them and we're going to try to, you know, identify uh, like the, they are going to deal with the problem that is being exhibited right now with the way that I'm looking at the 2020 Clemson Tigers, which is that I'm not comparing this Clemson team to the other teams in 2020. They, they are chasing go. I am comparing them to old teams and that is unfair. That is not an accurate way to predict how Clemson's going to perform on the field because as we continue to go through this exercise, I, I'm finding that I don't think anybody's good. And I think it's because we haven't had a full spring practice because spring yeah. practice is all about optimism. That's when the coaches sort of, you know, get it all down in our heads about how everything's going well. And with spring practice being thrown out, you know, I'm just, I don't have that dose of coach infused optimism. And I, I think that I'm looking at a lot of teams that got big question marks, Clemson, absolutely being one of them like Clemson I I expect that they will again win the ACC have a chance to contend for a national championship but at the same time if if I am a coach right now I am I'm sweating a few of these uh a few of these places where I'm going to need some players to step in and step up pretty quickly well one one area that's encouraging for Clemson though and uh, real quick Tom they got nine practices in in spring mm-hmm. ball. Great, so great point. At, the, at the very least, Clemson is, is I mean, they got the bulk of their work in, not the bulk, but majority of their work in. Maybe there's a synonyms. Uh, but they got some, they got to look at those freshmen. And I think those guys are good enough to, to impact. Yeah, I, I'm just approaching, I mean, this is a situation where Clemson's going to win the ACC, let's say 99% of the time. So in that 1% of the time they don't win it, I'm just trying to think what's the reason like what is the underlying reason for that one percent what kept them from winning the title because if we just talk about the reality of the situation where we compare Clemson to the rest of the ACC it's it's gonna be a pretty boring conversation it's they're much better than everybody in the conference yeah we, we're it, nit, nitpicking life and, and I'm sorry Clemson fans that's congratulations you've made it 
we, we now treat you uh, in that light where we're just going to be looking for ways to pick you apart because if we run the simulation where Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross, a defensive line that has – oh, yeah, by the way, Brian Breesey, Brian Breesey coming right in, potentially being ready to go along with a whole bunch of other freaks, then, yeah, we're uh, it's going to end with Clemson winning more games than not. Like you've got former five stars – that are going to be lucky if they don't lose their job yes. to the next crop of five stars on yeah. the defensive line. Like that's that's where they're at. That's the margin for error they have to work with. I mean, you look at like if you look at the season, you know, Xavier Thomas is coming off of last year where he really didn't have like an amazing season and you think of what he was as far as like, you know, the quote-unquote future behind that last defensive line. You're looking at a job where now Xavier Thomas who was the future might not be the best guy on the Clemson defensive line in 2020. No, he's he's an interesting character because uh, again he's had some injury issues and some I I don't know if it's I don't know if it was ever deemed a suspension technically and I I I apologize for not having the specifics on it because I as I remember it the specifics were a little bit unclear uh, in terms of all the wording but it, let's just say that Xavier Thomas for one reason or another seemed to have found himself in the doghouse. Dabo's doghouse. Yeah. If ex- if Xavier Thomas can stay out of Dabo's doghouse and stay healthy, he could end up having that explosive year that I think a lot of us were expecting in 2019. The Louisville Cardinals, eight and five last season, five and three in conference play. Uh, great, great debut for Scott Satterfield in his first Power Five conference job as he d- led one of the most impressive single-season turnarounds, took a roster that had pretty much quit on Bobby Petrino and was able to, in his words, love him up a little bit. Uh, they finished the year with a really explosive offense, and, and I mentioned that that quarterback, running back, wide receiver trio. Well, I think Mikhail Cunningham at quarterback, JV and Hawkins at running back, Tutu Atwell at wide receiver. Um, those That is a, a, another elite group where we're looking at Louisville's offense and we are going to consider it an explosive group and a group that we're going to have high expectations for. Now, Makai Becton, as uh, you know, he continues to be one of the top offensive line prospects in the NFL draft. He's gone along with Tyler Haycraft. You get a little bit of support here with the junior college All-American and Trevor Reed coming in. But uh, as we're looking at Louisville and trying to set our expectations, uh, number 13 in Bill C's returning production uh, rankings, this group was 4-0 in games decided by 10 points or less. So, you know, you are considering that they got some lucky bounces. However, we also saw, like, the floor and ceiling for this team were very, very far apart because the way that they could not stop Lynn Bowden and Kentucky in the finale, the way that Miami scored all over this team, there were some head-scratching performances when Louisville was at its lows compared to when Louisville was at its highs. So as we're uh, – Barton, this is this is one of your guys, this is one of your programs. They uh, – they they got the Barton bump when you, when you came back and and you were able to really feel what was going on there. What, do you think that it is realistic, given the way that this team performed in close games, uh, given the way that they bounced back? Do you think that it is realistic to set the expectations at Louisville being another like number two in the AC, in the ACC Atlantic type season? Well, that let's see. That's the hard part. Is they were they what 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 did I predict them at preseason? Do you remember? I feel like I predicted them like 
seven and five, know, seven and five, maybe, which was pretty outlandish at the time. And so they, I guess, what would they finish regular season? Did they finish seven, seven and five? five? Yep. Okay. So that was high, high, high expectations, very optimistic view. And they, they matched it. They got to eight wins. And the, the worry there is like, Hey, Coach, you know, give leave yourself a little room to a little runway to keep this thing going, get, keep the momentum going. I think the in some ways that was the I don't want to say that was the easy part because that that really undersells what an amazing job that was. But just getting guys to get positive again and believe and get that thing back on track was 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 doable. But now there's expectations. You're, are you reading these based on their their the finish in the conference? So do they finish second in the in the division? Yep. Yeah. Five and three. So, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. How bad they were two years ago to finish second in the division. Um. So I think the, you know, I, I do think that they'll be a good team again. I just think that's that might be hard to to top seven wins. You know, it might maybe this is another seven and five team. Um. And I think Mikhail like. He did it. Satterfield did inherit a, a quarterback that's really athletic, which he likes. And like you mentioned, a, a good running back, a good receiver, and Mikhail Beckton at offensive tackle. To me, that's the big question: was can they reload on the offensive line? I think they got a couple newcomers. Excuse me. I think they got a couple newcomers that need to play. Like they may have freshmen starting on the offensive line. So those sort of questions concern me, but. I do really believe in this coaching staff, and I think they'll continue to get the most out of the roster. Yeah, we, we mentioned Becton, and I think the one thing that's kind of stood out to me as I've been watching more Becton, like for draft purposes, is he was awesome, but the rest of that offensive line I don't think was very good. Mm. Like I, I thought there were some serious problems with the other four players, so I think that we they're going to have to improve there in order to maintain the kind of growth as far as wins and results we saw last year. But I think for me, the biggest problem is that defense. I mean, they allowed 33.4 points per game last year. That was the most of anybody in the ACC. They allowed more points than Georgia Tech, BC, Syracuse, all of them. And I think we need to see that side of the ball take a step forward if they're going to, you know, compete in the ACC or at least finish second. Because if you look at last year's losses, you know, giving up 35 to Notre Dame, 45 to Clemson, that's not really something I think that you need to be concerned about because those are teams that just talent-wise have way too much. Giving up 35 to Florida State, that's a team. Yeah, that you're getting a little close there, but at the same time, that's still a talented team. Where you where where you really get concern is that 39 points allowed in a in a win over Boston College. You allowed 59 points in your win over Wake. Miami put up 52 on you. Even Syracuse put up 34, even though you still beat them by 22. Kentucky putting up 45 on you. A Mississippi State offense that really didn't seem all that great last year, managing to put 28 up on you in the bowl game. So that to me is the one thing because you mentioned they're close wins. You have to if you're gonna if you go four zero in close games like that. Yeah, you're right. Some of the balls are going to bounce your way. You, you need some luck to get through. And if that luck disappears this year and the defense doesn't take a step forward, this is a team that could very easily go back from seven and five back to five and seven. Right. So I, I think that this is the offense is going to be fine. I do worry about the offensive line considering it wasn't great last year and it lost its best player. And that defense really needs to improve because the schedule this year is not like, you know, super easy they, they don't have to they still have to play Notre Dame at the end of the year 
on the road a week before the rivalry game against Kentucky. So that's that's a tough spot. But you're getting Virginia Tech from the Coastal. You're getting, you know, you've got Clemson on the road in week two. You're opening the season at home against NC State. This is not an easy schedule, even if it is the ACC. So I I, don't, I would not be, I like this team. I think that Scott Satterfield's got it going in the right direction. I just think that this is a team that could take a small step back, even though it might be a better team overall. We'll continue to be unfolding this, but of note, even if we think the production or just the the value, like if we think the stock price of Louisville is going to be uh, an interesting one to monitor, the final result's going to depend on who they're playing. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll keep charging through here. But I I would venture that the ACC Atlantic right now has one of those wild disparities between. Uh, where its floor and its ceiling is, and especially the the bottom, the bottom could be bad. Speaking of, Wake Forest, eight and five overall last year, four and four in conference play. And honestly, I kind of think that four and four is a little bit disappointing because this Wake Forest team ranked in the AP top twenty-five for the first time since two thousand eight. They cracked into the college football playoff top twenty-five for the first time ever swept North Carolina, NC State, and Duke for just the fourth time ever claiming that state championship. But there are a lot of uh, a lot of pieces that are going to be gone from that team. In Bill Connolly's returning production rankings, they are number 111. Uh, though, with Jamie Newman off to Georgia, his replacement is going to be Sam Hartman, who was the starter in 2018 before he got injured and Jamie Newman took over for him. We saw in his time starting as a freshman in 2018, Sam Hartman can be really good within the framework of uh, a more up-tempo, wide, uh, widespread offense, and he does have one of the best wide receivers in the ACC in Sage Surratt back, but the rest of those pass catchers, whether it's Kendall Hinton, Scotty Washington, they're all gone. No Cade Carney, the pride of Davie County. Uh, no Asang Bassey on the defensive side, though you do get back Boogie Basham, who's probably their best returning defensive player. It, essentially, for me, it kind of comes down to, for Dave Clawson and Wake Forest, last year was one of those years and a program like wake forest is going to be able to remain relevant and it's going to be able to remain competitive uh with dave clausen where he's gotten this group even in a the down years i don't expect it to be a bottom falling out kind of season but i just think that given the way that they had ramped up to last season and now with everything that's gone it is definitely one of the first steps in my Wake Forest breakdown to expect that they're going to be taking a little bit of a step back from being, you know, tied for third in the ACC Atlantic. Chip, I sense the tone in your in your Wake Forest recap. It, it's it's pessimistic. It is. It is. It's doubtful, dubious, all of these things. And I just want to remind you: look, we might be by name a Georgia podcast. But we have always been, for the folks that have listened to the cover three for since the beginning, it is clear that this is a podcast with very healthy respect for a Dave Clawson run program. And so I resent the tone <laughs> of that recap. This is still Wake Forest. This is this is Wake Forest. <laughs> <laughs> this is Wake. We are Wake. Is that a chant? Is that a cheer they have? We are sure. Wake. Should be. We are Wake. We are not sleep. We are awake. 
Look, they, I yes. I mean, I think Sam Hartman's backs helps. Certainly. I mean, that's a that's a quarterback. It's not Jamie Newman, but it's a quarterback that you can trust. You got your running back back. I get it. Scotty Washington and Kendall Hinton are gone. But how about Donovan Green? Like, got his four games that the the tail end of the year, uh, redshirt freshman, but when he played, that dude balled out and he was a four star recruit. He was a guy that we thought was really talented. I think he's going to be able to step in and be a threat on the perimeter. Uh, I'm I'm not counting Wake out quite like you are, Chip. You might be bailing, pulling the ripcord on your Wake Forest uh, appreciation, but I'm I'm hanging in there. I mean, this is there are three starters returning on offense. Although that doesn't count Hartman, who you know maybe three and a half if you look at it that way. So this is something of a reset year for Wake, but more than that, it's if you look at their schedule, what concerns me is that, you know, they get Clemson at home, but they're not winning that game anywhere. They get Miami at home, so maybe that helps them pick up that win, but they've also got Notre Dame. They've got Appalachian State they got to deal with, but it's their road games in conference. They're against the teams that, you know, they're going to be competing with in the middle of that Atlantic division to try to climb up and get into second or third. They've got to play Florida state on the road. They've got to play NC state on the road. They've got to play Louisville on the road. And those are the three teams that I think that if you're going to finish in second place, those are your probably, you know, three of your bigger competitors for that slot. And you're playing all three of them on the road. So I'm with Chip in this where I don't doubt that Dave Clawson is going to be able to put some guys in there and have a competent, healthy you know, competitive football team. It's just, I don't think things are working in their favor as for getting to second or third place. I think they're more likely to finish in fourth or fifth than they are to finish in third. And I do think that within the Dave Clawson program, which remember is a lot of players are going to redshirt. Like you bring them in here, you're going to redshirt. You're going to be a part of our program. We're going to plan for you to do it for four or five years. Um, you know, they, they lay it out, and a lot of the guys that commit to them are all about committing to this program. And, and that kind of slow build is what's allowed for it to be three and nine year one, three and nine year two, and then every other year they're going to a bowl game and they're winning at least three games in conference play. Seven and six, eight and five, seven and six, eight and five. I'm just suggesting that the way that the personnel aligned and the way that everything was building towards last season, there that was a to me, that was a nine or ten win team that fell a little bit short in a couple of games, and that the step back still can be a bowl team. But it's just you got to come into this understanding that it, it might be a bowl team where they are like fighting and scrapping to be able to make sure that they make it uh, to the bowl game. So, um, yes, I mean, we don't ha- we don't have to spend all, all call on on wake. They shouldn't have lost to Syracuse. They should not have lost at Virginia Tech and the Louisville game ended up being more about the cards than it was about Wake Forest. But at the time, I remember that being really disappointing for Wake Forest. So I think that the Wake, I think the Wake Forest um, optimism can bubble out as we discuss the teams behind Wake Forest on this list. That's also a good point. Uh, I'm just saying, like, so we uh, we can get to them, or I can just say it. I can just I can just call them out by name. I mean, BC. Like NC State, Syracuse, uh, Sy- yeah, Syracuse. Like, are we bullish on those teams more so than Wake? I don't 
don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. Bill Connolly's preseason SP plus, not a Wake Forest fan, uh, has him, I think, around 79 in the country. All right. All right. Coming up next, expectations for Florida State in year one with Mike Norvell and looking at the rest of the ACC Atlantic next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Florida State, boy, what an interesting Interesting team. We've talked about them a lot, particularly as uh, Mike Norvell and Barton were riding bikes together down at the beach at Florida, uh, <laughs> right as everything took off. But I mean, this is like the the players in this locker room, and I've said this a couple of times. Like what they've been through is not remarkable because it happens to a lot of teams, but it's certainly worth mentioning. And the players who come out on the other side of this, the James Blackmans, the Marvin Wilsons. I hope, I'm sure that they are going to be uh, hardened in a way that they could prepare for whatever kind of turnover or turmoil they might face at the next level. Uh, So Florida State on its third coach in four seasons, quarterback James Blackman on his fourth offensive coordinator in four seasons, Kenny Dillingham taking over as the OC, but... Is James Blackman even going to be the starting quarterback here? Uh, Chuba Purdy, Brock Purdy's little brother, uh, highly, highly regarded prospect. He'll join the mix, though obviously not with the kind of time that some might expect. That has to be a little bit of a built-in advantage for James Blackman. Uh, Defensive coordinator Adam Fuller comes with Norvell from Memphis. Inherits a pretty good defensive line and a talented secondary, though they've got some questions at linebacker. Number 27, in the returning production rankings. Uh, also, maybe, I don't know if this is necessarily uh, one thing to point out for how their on-field performance is, but I I don't know. Not sure. Not sure about the uh, the the culture change, right? What do we say? It was it was no earrings in the building, no hats. What what oh, were uh, no hood? I don't know. Hoods no, can't be up. I think hoods can't be up in the building. That was a big one. That was a big one. Uh, he's bringing back the mat drills from the Bobby Bowden era. I mean, there's there there is a lot going on with uh, with Mike Norvell at Florida State, but that you know this is a team that yeah yes six and seven a year ago, uh, but to be able to sort of do that with Willie Taggart getting fired in October. I don't think it was a totally lost season in the way that it could have been. And again, the commitment from some of those players, we haven't seen mass exodus of transfers. We saw players turning down the NFL to come back for a a division where, as you hinted, Barton, there is a couple of teams where you're not really sure where the optimism is. It feels like there's some optimism for Florida state. You know, I, I, 
I'm just really interested in, in this Florida State team and and seeing what Mike Norvell is capable of doing from an offensive standpoint. I mean, Kendall Bryles, I guess, was supposed to give us an offense, and we got it a li- got got sort of flashes of it. It was certainly more competent, but there wasn't ever a sense that the offense and the defense were complementary of each other. Uh, I, I just think that this is a, this is another one of these teams, not to the extent of USC. But to the but but in the sense of just looking at the roster and seeing Tamori and Terry and DJ Matthews and Kalen Laybourne and there's just I mean they these guys are good players. So is Mike Norvell have a, a, enough of a magic wand to come in and get these playmakers to make plays? I also like the way he recruited in terms of getting playmakers in important skill positions, whether they're ready right away is very much to be determined. Two quarterbacks, like the defense has got players, you know, not maybe not as trustworthy as you'd like, but they've got players. And, I mean, obviously the offensive line has been the big question mark. You can wake me up when the offensive line is good. I'm just going to assume it's not <laughs> until it is. But all, the, but all that said, like this, I feel like there's some, there's some, like reason for, I just think. It, what do you? How much do you trust Mike Norvell? That's all it boils down to. How much do you trust Mike Norvell? I I trust him a lot. I mean, that's that's why I we'll get to it in a later episode. But you know, I'm, I'm doing my dark horse series, and Florida State was a team that I considered to be part of the list because there are a lot of reasons. Although I I did ultimately decided that I shouldn't. I didn't want to use programs with coaches in their first years there. But there there is reason to be optimistic if you're a Florida State fan going into 2020. Not like, hey, we're ready to compete with Clemson and win a division title optimistic. But compared with the uh, doo-doo show that you've seen the last few years, I think that if you're heading into 2020, you're you're more excited about what this team can do than you have been lately. Although I, I agree with you, Barton. It's it's really hard to really expect much from this offensive line until you see it because the offensive line really has been a huge problem for them the last few years. You know, two years ago, it was kind of torn apart by injuries and it just there wasn't the talent or depth there to begin with. Last year, you kind of saw you know, maybe a layer of concrete being added to the foundation of it, but it was an offense that was kind of learning a new offense and it was headed, you know, it kind of threw things off kind of, there was, it just seemed out of place and disjointed mostly. I felt like the talent was there. It just didn't really seem to know what it was doing. So maybe with another new coach coming in and an offense that's not the same as Kendall Browse, but it has some similarities, but you just, you'd hope that was some maybe more, What's the word I'm looking for here? Defined coaching and defined roles for players and more information available to them. Maybe they're able to improve that section because this is a team that has talent, but it's really not going to go anywhere on offense unless that line improves a lot because they weren't just like, you know, power five conference bad. I mean, they were like FBS. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they were just one of the worst offensive lines in the country the last couple of years. Just, I don't care who you're playing or what conference you're in. You just watch them play compared to the teams they had to go against. They were horrible. And until that improves, it's hard to see them taking a major step forward. But I still think that this is a team that, you know, 
it's going to get to a bowl game in 2020, and it's not just going to get there by the skin of its teeth. It's going to be a better coached team. It's going to have more consistency, more accountability on both sides of the ball, and a clearer vision of what they want to do. And I think just that, that kind of stability brought in in a time that has been very unstable for this program, and that kind of shared common goal will be a good thing for them. It will help lead to a few extra wins. I think that this is a team that could, you know, get to eight and four, maybe nine and three if everything breaks right and we see some big improvements. And it's just, you know, it's it's going to be a better year. This is a team that could finish in second place okay. in the division. All right, so that's what I was going to... Where do y'all draw the line? Because my uh, apparent wake, hate, and tail thinks that the the line of division is like... Clemson, Florida State, probably Louisville, line, and then Wake Forest at the top of the second pile, which then includes NC State, Boston College, and Syracuse. Yeah, I would, I mean, right now on, what what is today, April 13th? Yeah, 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 yeah. On April 13th, I would pick Florida State to finish second in the division. I, I probably would too. I trust Mike Norvell. I, I mean, I hate that he doesn't get a full spring to work um, and a full summer at that, but I trust Mike Norvell to – I think he's a good – like people are good recruiters. They're good like X's and O's guys. They're good organiz- – like I, I think Mike Norvell is a good coach top to bottom. I, I, I get the sense that he is going to have his team disciplined and prepared – Assuming he has enough time to get out there, but uh, yeah, I mean, given given our other options, at some point, the the like the talent at Florida State is going to show up. We've got a coaching change at Boston College uh, after going six and seven overall, four and four in conference play. Steve Adazio is out. Anthony Brown is out as he is going to be over at Oregon. A.J. Dillon is off to the NFL along with a few other uh, key players there. Jeff Halfley comes over from Ohio State where he was the defensive coordinator. He said at his press conference that uh, he thinks that this can be a top 25 program. He also said that he's a guy with a chip on his shoulder. Look at me. I'm not the biggest guy. I don't look like I played big-time football, and that's the truth. I've had to work really hard. I've had a chip on my shoulder. I've had to kick down doors. It's been hard, but it's been real, and it's been worth it. Um, and I've had the support. I, I told Martin this. I have a list in my wallet of all the things that doubters have said to me my whole life. That's right. He's got a list of everything that, that has been said, all the doubters, and and now uh, Coach Halfley, I'm, just go ahead and transcribe it because uh, we, we got a lot to talk about here. At the quarterback position, uh, Dennis Grossel's back. He was he took over for Anthony Brown after he went out. They've also got ex-Notre Dame quarterback Phil Yurkovich in the mix. In terms of the coaching staff, oh boy, love, love, love this Rutgers flavor. Uh, Jeff Halfley himself, offensive coordinator Frank Signetic Jr., and defensive coordinator Tim Lukabu. Barton? Lukaboo. Yeah, Lukaboo. I think it's Lukaboo. Tim Lukaboo, all part of Greg Shiano's Rutgers staff in 2011. 
top 75-ish type expectations in Bill C's preseason metrics. And with uh, limited spring practice, with him coming in as a, a first-year coach, you know, I, I think that I'm taking a year zero approach for Jeff Halfley in Boston College and a year zero approach uh, with this program means to me that you're you're going to be contending to not be finishing last place in the ACC Atlantic. Where is what am I missing that would suggest that this is a team that could end up finishing mm, like third or fourth in the division? Just that it's the ACC Atlantic. That's it. And it's not yeah, I mean there's so much parity behind Clemson with the rest of the division that you know maybe things go well and they could crawl out but I I'm with you. I I don't have high expectations because it is a new coach, a first time head coach coming in, no spring, maybe no summer, you know, maybe having to rush things to get ready. He's lost his quarterback, transferred to Oregon. Their offense, AJ Dillon, pretty much he's gone. So a lot of key players are gone in offense An offense. They have, let's see, five returning starters. The good news is most of the defense is back. And I do think that considering Jeff Halfley's background, I would expect Boston College's defense to be fine. I would expect them to have a strong secondary. It's just I don't know how much you're going to be able to expect from the Boston College offense, so it's kind of hard if you can't score points to really have a high ceiling. That said, the schedule's not awful. I mean, non-con, they've got Ohio, at Kansas, and then Holy Cross. Those are three possible wins. So we're looking at three there. So can they get three wins out of Syracuse? Oh, I forgot. They've got Purdue, but that's at home. So maybe. But can they get three wins or three wins out of Syracuse, Clemson, Louisville, at Virginia Tech, at NC State, at Florida State, UNC, and at Wake? I'm not so optimistic that they can. Yeah, I think that, like you said, so I, I think 20 of 24 of their defenders that had 10 or more tackles are back. Uh, obviously, the. You know, with the with with Halfley coming back, yeah, I agree. I think their defense should be should be solid. I'm the question for me here is is quarterback. I think there's probably an expectation for some that Phil Jerkovic is their starter. He's the transfer from Notre Dame. He would have to get a waiver. I am expecting. I don't know if y'all are expecting this, but I I, I think that this is the whole one year first first time transfer for free situation is going to get passed. I think, I think transfers are all going to be eligible for their first transfer. And that, inc- that'll include this cycle. So if, if that happens, then maybe Phil Jerkovic's your starter, but Frank Signetti, I, I would assume is going to be kind of pro style, pro style. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 And I didn't, I don't think that's what Phil Jer- Jerkovic is. I mean, I know that's not what he's not a great thrower. He's a, He's a big athlete, kind of a, kind of the rugged, rugged type. Um, so the, I think their offensive line will be pretty good. I think their running backs will be have, you know, they obviously are going to miss AJ Dillon, but they'll be. They'll, I think they have some players back there. It's just quarterback and this offensive coordinator, and so I'm not. So I so I am not confident in those positions. I'm not confident in that offense, but I guess my. My optimistic view is if you think their defense will be pretty good and if they have some sort of a grinder quarterback and if their O-line is pretty good, like, I don't know, they maybe they could surprise 
surprise you. Like if there's one team that we haven't talked about yet that I would say might surprise us, this would be the one I would I would put in there. Rock fight Boston College. Yeah, they're going. Yeah, they're going to win gross, but they might win. Oof. Boston College unders. They were lost. Steve Adazio wanted to modernize things. <laughs> really ruined these Boston College clunkers that I loved so much. I would take it. I would welcome it with open arms, bring some Big Ten flavor to uh, to, to the ACC Atlantic. Uh, all right. Our, our guy, Dino Babers, Syracuse. E. All right, five and seven last year, two and six in ACC play, and the offseason didn't even go that well. Had to hire two different defensive coordinators. You go and hire Zach Arnett from San Diego State. You sort of commit yourself being like, all right, we're going to go to this this 3-3-5 defense. Then Mike Leach hires Arnett away to Mississippi State. So then uh, he ends up having to go get former uh, Arizona State safeties coach Tony White to come in as the new defensive coordinator. Uh, for offensive coordinator, we're bringing in Sterling Gilbert. You may uh, remember Sterling Gilbert from being a part of both Texas and South Florida in recent years. Uh, Gilbert actually also worked with Dino Babers at both Eastern Illinois and Bowling Green. So there should be some sort of the you know head coach, offensive coordinator, everybody seeing eye to eye, at least you would think. Tommy DeVito is also back. Not the explosive year uh, that I predicted from my guy Tommy DeVito, but he was playing behind a porous offensive line. Uh, the skill positions take a huge hit with the loss of Mo Neal at running back, uh, Tristan Jackson and Sean Riley. And the defensive line had a couple of excellent pass rushers with Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson. They're both gone. Uh, this is not a Syracuse team that returns a whole lot, but at the same time, this was a Syracuse team that underwhelmed for much of last season. And the the problem, not the problem, but the, the key issue from a big picture program perspective for Syracuse this year is that when you look at the Dino Babers era, one of these things is not like the other. Four and eight, four and eight, ten and three, five and seven. And the challenge is going to be to prove on the field and in the record books or in the win-loss column that that ten and three was not some kind of anomaly. So what do we think our beloved uh, fighting Dino Babers are going to have for the world and the ACC in 2020? I don't know how electric the dome is going to be. Worried about the Dino drop, man. Worried about the old Dino drop. I don't know how many more times. I think they're good. I think that they're going to lose. They're losing r- relevancy here. This yeah. is lose relevancy year. And it's like he, he jumped out, had some encouraging moments, had the big breakthrough season. Well, because they beat Clemson and yeah. then nearly beat Clemson the following year. Yeah. And then, like, now I feel like we've he's been there for four years and we get to year five here and it's and it's as if like the Syracuse like upstate New York has has seeped into him and now it's just he spent more time in Syracuse and that has has watered down the the juice and the energy that he had at the start and now it's just you look at the roster and it's just what what is there to really get really excited about i hope i'm wrong but i just i think that's a tough place to win and i think the longer you're there the tougher it is to win 
And, and you know, so now now he's now he's year five, and I think it's, I think he's uphill battle. And they they got a ton to replace on defense. I mean, I feel like. You know, Kendall Coleman, Alton Robinson were the two, I thought, the best players on that defense last year. I think they were the, certainly the most impactful. They're both gone. The secondary was pretty decent. I think most of the guys there are back. It's just most of the overall production as far as tackles and tackles for loss and all those types of things, they're gone. And you look at this schedule, and I mean, three of their first four games are on the road which is a rough start for anybody, but they start at BC, then they're at Rutgers. The home opener, everybody's going to be super pumped on September 19th for the home opener against Colgate. And then they're on the road at Western Michigan. I mean, <laughs> this is a team that could be off to a, you know, a one in, or two and two, one and three kind of start if things don't go well. And we saw with that defense last year, there's a chance things could not go well for this team. So I, I don't know. This is... I feel like this team should be better than the five and seven and the two and six squad we saw in the ACC last year, but I just don't know what I have to support that feeling. Like, is there? I, you look, you like Spartan. You just said you you look for reasons like talent wise on this roster. You look for somebody to stand out and say, okay, that's the reason I think that this team can improve. But you look and you look and you look, and you don't find it. I mean, like, did they recruit or did they just hold tryouts? A little they, of both. So they, they, I mean, this is the point. Like, this is the point. It's like, I, I think that they've, it's not that they've recruited poorly. They, I think that they've recruited okay. But that's just a hard place to recruit to. So I think they've recruited okay by, by Syracuse standards. But it's just, I just, I, I think... I mean, and look, the secondary is is that you mentioned has got some players, and that's some of the areas where they've actually landed some studs. Um, but I I don't know. Like I, I think we're gonna have to see a quarterback has got to be fixed. It's got to be it's got to be better. I mean, we haven't seen Dino Babers without a really good quarterback before, and we saw him this past year. I mean, Dino Babers always and and credit Dino Babers for it. Like he's found really good quarterbacks. He's developed really good quarterbacks. He didn't have a really good quarterback last year. Um, and what's uh, why am I blanking on the quarterback that he had Eric, prior to Eric Dungey? Eric Dungey. Uh, there, there's probably a lot of people that don't really know who Eric Dungey is that didn't watch ACC football. Eric Dungey was a, like that dude was. You, you, I want him on my team in anything. Yeah, especially football. Um, so. That's, I think, the big thing for Syracuse is can they get confidence back in their quarterback position? Because if, if that's the case, then, yeah, who knows? I mean, that's, that's, been, that's been the key to, to, to Dino's success wherever he's been. Do we need a Dino drop just in case? Because we don't know how many of them we're going to have left. Just to make me feel better after trying to figure out if Syracuse is going to be any good, yeah. Okay. Close your eyes. Visualize this. You're in the carrier dome. The house is filled. The feeling is electric. The noise is deafening. You have a defense that is relentless. You have a special teams that has been well coached. You have an offense that will not huddle. And you have a game that's faster than you've ever seen on turf. 
open your eyes. That's going to be a reality. That's going to be Syracuse football. Twelve and zero. Syracuse is the one percent. Did y'all see uh, the def- the the Carrier Dome bubble get deflated? Yes. No, I didn't. I'm gonna start playing that that for my wife in the mornings though, just to <laughs> just like see if that helps the helps just the general direction of the day moving forward. Uh, all right, and uh, and bringing it home with NC State. Oh, four and eight. Ugh. Uh, one in seven in ACC play after back-to-back nine-win seasons. Dave Doran's program takes a little bit of a step back, and boy, he had to uh, respond to it. Big-time uh, coaching changes uh, on the staff. We've got five new coaches in total. Tim Beck comes and takes over as the new offensive coordinator, and uh, and then Tony Gibson is now the solo defensive coordinator after co-defensive coordinator Dave Huxtable was let go after the season. We've got Devin Leary probably as our incumbent starting quarterback, uh, former Florida State transfer Bailey Hockman still around after not being able to win that job. And then we've got Ben Finley, who I believe is Ryan's little brother. Does that make sense? That would sound right. Sounds right. I, I don't. I am not sure off the top of my head if that's true or not. They I trust do you. share a last name. Yeah, they, well, and also Ryan Finley was there for like nine years, so I would understand that Ben Finley might have been attracted to the program. It uh, might be his son. Who knows? <laughs> uh, I I really like their running back room right now. Uh, Bam Knight had 745 yards and five touchdowns last year, and I think that he's poised for a big step forward. Ricky Person Jr. when he can stay healthy has also been really good. Defensively, you lose uh, James Smith-Williams and bring back a lot, but that defense didn't really play great last year. No. So you've got uh, you've got a lot of pieces that all need to have improvement and significant improvement. And I have complimented the uh, NC State's strength and conditioning program. I think that where we've seen that program turn out NFL players, a lot of it has been from the way that they have undergone good player development and physical transformation with uh, with Thunder Dan, D'Antonio Burnett, as the strength and conditioning coach. I think that you know some of what we've seen from NC State has been good in terms of the program appearing to be healthy. But man, we, we go from those compliments to all of a sudden looking at Dave Doran in this season, just one ACC win last year, and kind of feels like there's some pressure on NC State to bounce back and have a big response. The operative question is how much confidence is there that NC State's going to be able to to climb at least out of the cellar and, and finish in a position where it can continue uh, moving forward and trying to build with Dave Doran? I think that there's definitely pressure on. Uh, I think he's like – uh, he. I think his, his seat's hot. Like his seat is – but should it be? I don't know. I don't know if it should be. I don't know. I'm not saying it should be. I'm saying it is. Do you disagree that it is? No, I don't. I, I just, I just, it's weird. I mean, it's like the expectations of the fan. I mean, this is a dude. I know they went four and eight last year, and overall, it was not a fun year. One and seven in conference. It was a disastrous year, but this was a team that, you know, had gone nine and four each of the previous two seasons, and really, 
outside of his first year when they went three and nine, they, you know, they weren't, they were eight and five, seven and six, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four. And I feel like if you're NC state, you should be allowed to take a step back once in a while. Cause it's not like you're like a blue blood type of program where it's, sh- Oh, we should be competing for, you know, ACC titles every single year. I mean, you're in the same division as Clemson and Florida state and Florida state is going through a down patch, which has allowed you to, you know, move up a little bit, but you're still, to think that, you know, Dave Doran's like, if he doesn't, you know, win nine games again, we should fire him. It's just, it's like, really? Because when he was winning nine games, I felt like he was very much overachieving for what your program is typically displayed in the course of its history. But you're not measured against Clemson and Florida State. You're measured against North Carolina. And the kids from in-state that were going to NC State, uh, Mac Brown seems to be doing a good job of cleaning up on the top players in state right now. And in the same way that Larry Fedora caught a lot of heat from North Carolina fans for not beating NC state. I think that the success at North Carolina, it should not be again. I believe Dave Doran's program to be healthy. I I think that what they've been able to build with the indoor facility uh, and and with sort of everything else that they've got going on, he has a good vision and he's got everybody moving in the right direction. He caught a lot of pressure and he did that thing that a coach in his one, two, three, a coach after his seventh season, you know, okay, we, we need to make some changes. We need to shake some things up. He shook some things up, but don't we also consider sort of in the path of coaches on the hot seat, on and off the hot seat, that when you shake up the coaching staff like that, it may buy you some time, but it's also a sign of concern where like you really hope that some of those adjustments and some of those changes work because if there's not sign of, you know, if there's not easy to recognize sign of improvement, then uh, the NC State fans start to consider that those back-to-back nine-win seasons, that that was the peak. And do you want to stick around for it to take another four or five seasons to get back up to that peak? So I, I think that the – Devin Leary was a four-star recruit. If Devin Leary were playing like a four-star recruit, if he was that guy that they, that they thought – he was coming out of high school and the Ryan Finley baton was handed off and their quarterback situation was still strong. I think there's a chance that this would be a little bit of a different toned conversation. I think the running back group is is good. Like you mentioned, offensive line wasn't that good last year, but yeah, I think that could be an improved unit. One area, like what, what's been the, the driver of, of NC state, to to us, right? It's I think we would all have the same answer. It's probably the front seven on defense, right? Yeah. Defensive, yeah, absolutely. When they've been good. Yeah. So I think that's perhaps if you want to to find an optimistic viewpoint here, I think their 2019 defensive line recruiting class was really, really good. A couple of those guys were a little bit banged up. That you know, I think they flat, you know, they played some, but it wasn't it didn't like fall out as true freshmen assuming that those guys have continued to improve I wonder if this is the year we see that class flash on the defensive line they still have like a Lee McNeil and somebody else is pretty good up front as I recall uh, but they, they got to get back to being good at quarterback and good at the, in the line of scrimmage on defense and if they can do that then I mean I think the the second part they can do I don't know if they can do the first part and I'm not like 
and and Tim Beck as their OC hire isn't some like confidence inspiring like well that's the game changer that they need. That's that strikes me as a we got to make a move. Let's get a new like a new voice in the room. Maybe it works. It doesn't it doesn't strike me as a look at this new system we're bringing in. Uh, I can't can't wait to show you. Well, the the narrative was that it was really important to have one voice because when Drinkwitz left, they did internal promotion co-offensive coordinators and whether it's right or not, the the narrative was like, "Oh, we've got two guys and our offense looks disjointed. It must be because we've got these two offensive coordinators." Now, shout out to Mike Loxley and uh um why am I blanket? Michigan offensive coordinator. Gaddis. Gad, Josh Gaddis. Shout out to Mike Loxley and Josh Gaddis. We know that it's a team effort and the game planning happens all during the week. But, you know, the frustrated screams in Carter Finley Stadium, uh, the cursing of your coordinators was based around the idea that this disjointed offense, no one seemed to trust that there was one uh, definitive vision for what the offense could be. And Barton, you're 100% right. If Devin Leary... Uh, is able to perform at a higher level that one might expect based on his prospect recruiting rankings, this might not be an issue at all because NC State was very bad at quarterback for many, many of la- the losses that racked up last year. And that's not something that we're used to seeing from NC State uh, here in the last little bit. It's been a while since we've had a down year at the quarterback position in Raleigh. And, uh, and that's... That, that is absolutely where it starts. I c- Count me as somebody who's going to end up being optimistic on this one. Not that NC State is going to be uh, jumping back into that nine-win spectrum, but like you mentioned, Barton, there's some players that are going to be sophomores and juniors on this team that should be really good, and uh, and you, you hope if you're an NC State fan that all that shows up and they're going to end up being able – to take down uh, somebody like a Syracuse. You're going to be able to go and get a win against Boston College. You're going to be able to win against Wake Forest. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're right back in that position that you were even in the non-peak years where you're finishing 7-5, and 6-6 six and six in a bowl game, but continuing that upward trajectory back towards another peak season. And and Devin Leary really needs to take that step forward and start living up to you know his his recruiting uh, acumen or his 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 profile coming out of high school because I mean he was he's a freshman so you don't want to get you know you don't want to hold it against him too much but he was just bad last year when he came on and took over that starting role I think he only had, he finished over fifty percent completion wise in only two games and that was against Louisville and Georgia Tech who happened to be the two worst defenses in the conference so. Yeah, that that is a necessary step forward that they need to see happen if they're going to get out of the cellar of the division again. It's it's great when uh, the actual uh, position of importance and need is also the really basic one. It makes it really mm-hmm. easy to talk about them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you could just say it's like as Devin Leary goes this year is probably how NC State's going to go. Yeah, and is and, Devin Leary the is is Chip is Devin Leary the assumed starter? Yes. Uh, named starter, I believe. Okay. okay. Like he's he's going to be our QB one heading into spring practice kind of talk. All right. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that brings us to the end. Is there is there any any other lingering ACC Atlantic thoughts? 
Go Clemson. Yeah, we gave a lot of we got a lot of uh, real estate to a bunch of a bunch of schools that are just living in apartments and uh, on Clemson's huge lot. <laughs> yes, they're on their just a bunch of farmers on Clemson's castle squatting in the attic <laughs> or the basement actually would probably be the more apt nc state's first commitment of the 2020 class ben ben finley is the brother of ryan finley a three-year starter at qb for nc state who finished second in school history in passing yards and fourth in career touchdowns it really feels like it was a lot longer than three years though you're not <laughs> kidding he transferred in for boise didn't he yeah yeah so that's um yeah like yeah, he was around with drink, right? I don't I, remember that. Because I think but he, he sounds right. I mean, the timeline feels like it would match up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. He is Tom Fennell. You can follow him at Tom Fennell. You can follow me at Chip underscores Patterson. We will be back with the ACC Coastal at the end of the week. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Sir. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.